It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello and welcome to episode five and a half. These are the bits from our day out to see Sadiq Khan that we didn't get time to include in the main episode. Enjoy. All right, so we've come on a field trip to see Sadiq Khan. Hello. Welcome to City Hall. Welcome to my office. This office is amazing. I mean, you've got one of the best views in London over Tower Bridge. Can you, can you tell me about some of the things in the office? Is that Muhammad Ali on the wall over there? Well, so that, that's what my all-time hero is Muhammad Ali. Uh-huh. And uh, the mayor of uh, Louisville knew that I was a fan and brought a, a photograph of Muhammad Ali, signed, autographed by Muhammad Ali. And then he re- reminded me that was the second fight he had with Cooper when Cassius Clay had become Ali and he was world champion. And he said, just in case you ever think uh, you're better than us, there's a Bobby in the background with a helmet on. You see his helmet on? Yeah, yeah. That's when we beat you. Uh, and so they, they, want, they want to remind me that the, the American Ali beat us. But yeah, got some great pictures of uh, some art we commissioned after the Brexit vote from artists from David Trigley and others, which, you know, one of the one of the pieces of work is there's various street names in London, you know, Moscow Place, Poland Street, Singapore Road, Gibraltar Walk, America Square, um, Baltic Quay, Caledonian Road, just to remind ourselves of our rich history of immigration, uh, the contribution people have made Afghan Road. And I've also got something uh, I'm really proud of. I commission. Uh, so, so you probably know this, uh, Jeff, but there is no statue of a woman in Parliament Square. Yeah. And uh, next year we celebrate a hundred years of women getting the right to vote. And so we will have uh, unveiled, hopefully in February, fingers crossed, uh, which is the, the, the month when we celebrate hundred years, uh, the first ever statue of a woman. It's a suffragist, Millicent, For- uh, Millicent Fawcett. We've got a, a, a woman designer, Gillian Waring, 
the bronzing will be done by a woman as well. And what, you've, what you can see above is, is the miniature model of that. One thing they've done in Paris is to have car-free Sundays, I believe. Um, Journée sans voiture. Uh, better than my German pronunciation <laughs> yeah, last yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what about... And I think that's part... Some people say that's a gimmick, but, but, but it's really, I think... It's not sort of tackling the whole problem, but I think it is sending a signal that this is what our city can be like if people aren't dry. Is that that might that be in your no. sights at some point? I mean, Anne Hidalgo, who's the mayor of uh, Paris, and is a friend. She's chair of the C40, which is which is the 40 biggest cities around the world. And I, I'm in Paris on, on Monday with her to discuss what we're doing together. Look, that's okay. It's part of the part of the, the package of measures you can do. We already have that in London. We have days where. Uh, where cars aren't allowed on parts of London. So Regent Street does it regularly. We're pedestrianised Oxford Street. Uh, in Ride London this, this year, we had two days where there was no cars in central London. We'll do the same uh, next year. But I, I don't want just the air to be improved on the odd Sunday. Right. I want the air to be improved all the time. Fair enough. Fair enough. And so, you know, that, that's why, you know, we've already started taking measures. So already, Ed, so we, we've reduced the number of uh, diesel buses in Oxford Street. The air's improved hugely. We've reduced the number of diesel buses in Putney. We now have uh, uh, the cleanest buses. The air's improved hugely, hugely. So we're already taking measures to improve the air every day of the week, just on the, okay. on the Sunday. Now, let me ask you about wood-burning stoves, because that you've raised this as an issue Uh yeah, I think some of us didn't even know that you could still burn wood in London, but you can. That's part. That I mean, cars is obviously the big focus, but th- th- that's one of the issues as well. well okay, can, can, can I just can I just can I just reassure yeah. your listeners, uh, many of whom I suspect own uh, wood burning stoves? You're not predicted the type. You're not in a war on wood burning stoves. This, this is not declaring war on uh, wood burning stoves. But no, let me let me take the serious point, which is one of the things that I've introduced is um, uh, air alert warnings. Because it's about, it's about letting people have the facts. Yeah. And so just like if you've got hay fever, you know, yeah. there's a high pollen uh, count. Why aren't we letting people know when there's uh, poor quality air? And so we've started doing that. We, we're using the resources at my disposal, stations, dot metrics, around bus stops. And I'm, I'm saying to the broadcasters, you should do the same. We discovered on one of the days where there was a high alert warning, the cause for it was uh, uh, wood burning stoves, not wood burning stoves per se, but it's a combination of the stuff you're burning, wet wood is not good. Right. Uh, not proper maintenance. Uh, so what we're saying to um, manufacturers is you can actually now have new wood-burning stoves that are better quality. Right. Uh, but also, if you're a consumer, uh, think about the material you're purchasing and what you're burning in your stove. And also, if it's the case in the future, we're worried about on particular days – there have been concerns around uh, what this stuff, uh, what these things emit uh, to, on those particular days. Don't use them. Just like when there's, there's a hose pipe ban, people don't use the hose pipes and stuff. So this is not about you know sitting banning wood burning stoves, but that's been that's been aware that actually one of the causes of the bad stuff in the air is, of course, motor vehicles. It's also construction, the River Thames, uh, uh, homes, and that includes wood, wood burning stoves. I think we're going to move on to talk about some of your other um, priorities and some of the other things on your agenda. You mentioned Brexit there. You've obviously taken a strong stand. Tell, tell us how you see the current state of play on Brexit. It looks pretty pretty bad. Look, can I say, Theresa May and uh, the government, they're our government, actually, because they're negotiating with the EU on our behalf. And we will them and we want them to do well. It's in all of our interest for us to do well. Look, I accept, by the way, as heartbroken as I am, the British public voters to leave the EU. They didn't vote for us to become poorer or the next generation less well off. And so it's important for the government to do a good, good deal. And by the way, if you're a Brexiteer, you want this to succeed. 
we could sit back with our arms crossed and say, let's wait for it to fail. We can say, I told you so. And so my message to the government is, for goodness sake, pull your socks up. Because at the moment, I've got no confidence in your ability to get a good deal from the EU. You've got, there's no game plan. A no deal's a disaster, isn't it? I mean, let's be clear. You must see that as well, mayor of I mean, London. Well, I mean, I speak to chief executives, entrepreneurs, innovators, investors all the time. No deal means, not status quo, no deal means World Trade Organization uh, terms. That means on goods, you pay a tariff to export. Almost half of our exports are to the EU, 60% of countries which have deals with the EU. Uh, so you pay tariff for the non-tariff uh, um, services. There are barriers uh, in the way. So, and by the way, on aviation, there are no WTO terms. And so, uh, you know, sure, I can, I can, in a hypothetical case, I can think of a scenario where a deal is so bad that it's worse than WTO and no deal, but I can't think of many. And so that's why we need to deal with the uh, EU. But also what worries me, Eddie, is I speak to businesses every day who are saying we need certainty. We can't have a cliff edge March 2019. You need a transitional deal and we need it now. Do you see the drift of those businesses out of the country? Are you already seeing that happening? So or are you, are we, you know, are people talk about a tipping point. Are we, are we there? Is it happening so look, I've got to be very careful because some of the conversations I have are private. And so, so, uh, but, but the ones that are in the public domain, there already are banks leaving uh, London. There already are mayors of other cities coming to London to court our businesses. There are, uh, there are businesses making plans and they, they'll, they've given the government till some January, some the end of the first quarter uh, before they will move. And by the way, if businesses leave London... Uh, it's irreversible because you, if you're a business and you've decided to set up an office in Frankfurt or Paris or, or Berlin or Dublin, you're not going to then come back and set up again in London because there's been a good transitional deal. That's why it, it beggars belief, the complacency from this uh, government. And by the way, it's not just businesses. I'm speaking to Londoners and they're Londoners, by the way, who are EU citizens who uh, are making plans to leave. I'm speaking to site managers on, on building sites who are saying some of their tradesmen uh, have left. I'm speaking to Londoners who are married to people with British passports who are thinking about going back to country of origin with with spouse who has got a British passport or applying for passports for other countries. The uncertainty I see on a daily basis is heartbreaking. And, you know, the idea that these people are being used as bargaining chips just beggars belief. So how often are uh, the government involving you in these conversations? Because you've got responsibility over this huge city that contributes to the economy in such a massive way, but at the same time, like London's been vilified a lot by the, the Brexiteers. Are, are, they, are they involving you and, and asking, cutting your opinion on this so, stuff? So, so, so David Davis, who's the Secretary of State in charge of the negotiations, to give him credit, actually, I do meet him regularly. Uh, and I sometimes take, take with me experts in relevant fields, could be in the cultural sector, could be in the higher education sector, to make representations to him about what our needs are. So if the, one of the first things I raise with him is, is the, the status of EU citizens, the need for a transitional deal. The problem, I think, is the, um, there is, I, I, get, I, get a, I get a feeling of paralysis in the government. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. The right hand, depending on which day you speak to it, says different things. And so as good as my relations with the Secretary of State, David Davis, may be, I think you know, the person who's in command of the ship, she's uh, not clear where she wants to go. I think, by the way, the idea the government's doing a deal, our government, I hasten to add, our government's doing a deal in the national interest is nonsense. The, any deal, uh, the discussions that have been had are, are being done in the interest of the Conservative Party and inverted commas unity, and that's bad for London. Bad for our country. And by the way, Jeff, this you raise a really important point about this 
anti-London animus, which does exist. Let's mm-hmm. not pretend it doesn't exist. It exists actually sometimes for very good reasons. There is an arrogance from my city about how important we are. But the point is, London can only be the great city we are because of the rest of the country, the Manchester, Birmingham, uh, Scotland, uh, Wells, uh, Liverpool. Other parts We're in of this country. together. No, I, I, was, I spent Friday, last Friday, with Andy Street, Andy Burnham, the mayor of uh, uh, you know, Cambridgeshire and, and Peterborough, uh, you know, the, the mayor of um, the West of England. Uh, I speak regularly to Steve Rotherham. I speak to Nicola Sturgeon uh, and to Carolyn Jones. I mean, you know, it's really important for, for me as the mayor of London to, with humility, say we can only be a great city because of the rest of the country. But also, I think the country um, uh, does accept, I think, when we're being honest, that actually the country's success is contingent on, contingent on London doing well. If London does badly, London suffers, but also the country suffers. Talk, talk to us briefly about your other priorities, housing. Um, you know, this is, there's obviously a housing crisis right across the country, but London feels this crisis particularly acutely. How's that? How's that going? That that drive you've got to build affordable housing. How sort of you know? How, how do you measure progress? What do you want to achieve by the end of your first term? Well, just just to give, just to remind ourselves of the scale of the challenge. We've got a housing crisis, as, as you referred to. I mean, the, 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 in the year before I became mayor, with the fewest numbers of homes built uh, in peacetime since the 1920s, and the homes that are being built uh, aren't affordable. Uh, many are bought uh, off-site, off-plan from people overseas. Nothing against foreign, foreigners. Some of my best friends are, are, are foreigners. And so we're starting the, the marathon to try and turn things yeah. around. But just the other, the other just word of warning, from permission being granted, it takes, roughly speaking, two years for homes to be built. The year before I became mayor, only 13% of homes given permission to were affordable. So it's a marathon, not a sprint. We're turning things around. So we're able to release the first tranche of homes where people will pay a London living rent, a third of average earnings. Uh, we're able to publish a draft housing strategy as a consequence of a deal that we negotiated with the government where we can build 90,000 homes. We can start 90,000 homes by 2021. We're already trying to fix the rental market. Our campaigning, which you started uh, when you were the leader in relation to trying to ban letting agents fees, has been successful. Good, yeah. We're improving the rental market. Uh, we've got plans that we can make sure the homes that are you know, built in London, the quid pro quo for getting permission is for the first three or six months you advertise in London. So it's, it's first dibs for... Uh, this is a deep as crisis as well. and it takes time. It will to take a long, long time. If I'm honest, uh, Ed, at the end of term one, um, I'm not sure how much change you'll see. You'll see, I think, the, you know, the, you'll see some evidence of things turning around. But, but the, actually, the saving grace is, I think everyone recognises what a crisis it is. You know, if we were speaking five years ago, we'd be talking about porters, bus drivers junior journalists not being able to afford to live in London. Now it's CEOs, investors, and everyone not being able to afford to live in London. Uber. You've taken a strong stand on Uber. Where I know you're quite legally constrained about what you can say. Uh, Tell us just a bit about it and how you see the vision of the future. Some people have talked about we should have a cooperative Uber. TFL should have its own platform on which everyone, taxi drivers and others, can be. Where's this going to go, do you think? My view on this is is very simple. In general terms, I think the rules are the rules. And everyone should play by the rules, whether you're, you know, a big multinational with an army of PR experts and an army of lawyers, or whether you're a sole trader who does the right thing, pays your tax and and knows all the rest of it. And, you know, Transport for London have a very important role to do as the regulator in making sure private hire vehicle operators and taxis and drivers play by the rules. In 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 the mind of TfL, Uber aren't playing by the rules. Big concerns around safety and uh, security. And I support TfL. Uh, for saying to Uber, you're not playing by the rules, we're not going to renew your license. Now, the good news is um, that the new global CEO of Uber has more humility than the previous guy. 
and you know has, has made them recognize relatively low bar well no but it's really important <laughs> because you know look the rules apply whether you're a sole trader small private hire uh, uh, yeah. vehicle operator or, or, or anybody else but and here's the crucial thing as far as you know london is open is concerned i want london to be a center for innovation for technology for disruptive technology but we've got to evolve our rules to make sure they they're fit for purpose and look i want people to come here to start businesses and stuff it's an interesting model and jeremy talked about this a, a week or so ago about the idea of a cooperative uh, you know, you enthusiastic about well, that possibility? Well, I, mean, I don't think it's for me as the mayor of London uh, to set up businesses. Uh, I can create an environment where businesses are. But you would encourage it. But well, I, I encourage innovation, and we've got so much talent in London uh, that I'm sure it can't be beyond the wit, wit of uh, you know the talent in London and the cooperative movement to come up with some sort of model. Um, it's a relatively more personal question. Your dad was famously a bus driver, um, and uh, you talked a bit about that in your campaign. I mean, you must feel incredible. Once or twice. You, you must once or, <laughs> once or, two, once or 200 times. Uh, you must feel an incredible sense of pride when you walk into here every morning. Um, I think many, many people are very proud of you and proud of what Signal It sends about your city. But tell us about your emotions doing this job. I love it. Honestly, I love it. I mean, I, you know, I, I, in all the jobs I've had, I've had the humility with I was a lawyer, going to Parliament, what a great House of Parliament. But being the mayor of London is just a different league you know coming to work every day the people I work with meeting Londoners whether you're a police officer risking your life on a daily basis a firefighter you know going into a burning building when there's no water by the way um, you know when you're an imam holding back people who want to you know beat up somebody who has driven a car into uh, a congregation outside the, the mosque you speak to charity workers faith leaders people giving their time at food banks I get I get paid to meet wonderful people and help them fulfill their potential. And it's a great privilege. And, you know, I, I love my job. You know, I was, I, was te- you know, I was teasing earlier on saying that, you know, forget no two days are the same, no two hours are the same. And that's the diversity of London. You know, I think diversity is a strength, not a weakness. And one of the things that I've tried to do as the mayor is to use, um, you know, the, 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 the bully pit of City Hall, not simply to pull the levers that I've got, you know, TFL, the police, the fire service, but also to convene and bring people together. And I genuinely think, genuinely think we are a beacon for the world yes of course i'm heartbroken about brexit and of course we've had a horrible summer with the terror attacks and the grenfell tower fire but the world looks upon us um not just with envy but looks up to us and i think the way we conduct ourselves the way we conduct politics the way we can be you know jewish christian muslim sikh hindu buddhist member of an organized faith or not you know rich poor old young lgbt plus uh, or, or not and not just get on, but respect, celebrate, and embrace. It's something we should cherish, but it doesn't happen by itself. It happens because of the hard work of people like you, um, you know, your family, me, my family, and many, many thousands across our city who do, you know, who make our city the greatest city in the world. So, you know, I've got the best job in the world. Thank you very much, Sadiq Khan. My pleasure, Ed. Cheers, Jeff. Nice to see you. Thank you. Take care. Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast.